Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He certainly, he, he had fulfilled all of these external requirements in order to say that I have eternal life. On the external, he had done everything that was necessary according to the law. But still, the normal run of things, a question like this wouldn't have been too out of order. The Jewish religious leaders of the day, often they discussed, they debated, they spoke to each other about these things. In the normal run of things, it would have been an okay question. But this man came, he was testing Jesus. There's no doubt about it. He was testing him to see if his answer would be in accordance with the Mosaic law. But Jesus wasn't gonna fall into that trap. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer who was very educated in the Mosaic law presented Jesus with a very important question. While the man's question was a good one, his motivation for asking it was to trap the Lord. As always, Jesus' answer proved that he could not be bested by men's schemes. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that Jesus' wise response proves that though men may try to earn their way to God by doing good, the only way to salvation is through the power and message of the cross. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Will You Be a Neighbor? The song was written back in 1967, and it was sung by the composer as the opening theme song of his daily show that uh, ran until his death in 2003. So the words are pretty simple, and and since it was sung daily for almost 40 years, the, the lyrics of it are probably known by members of at least three generations. I think you'll probably remember these words. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, You remembered, all right. Well, Fred Rogers, uh, when he wrote that, he wrote that as the theme song for his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was a, uh, also an ordained Presbyterian minister. He wrote that because his desire was that everyone that he met would really be his neighbor. And he wanted to kind of uh, uh, express that idea to all the children that tuned into his show, as, as well as the adults, that people would open up their hearts, open up their lives to people that are around them. One of the verses of that song, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at an individual that had pretty much the opposite feeling. He really didn't want to be a neighbor to anyone, and particularly, he wanted to limit those that he had to be a neighbor to limit those that he would have any kind of responsibility to care for, any responsibility to love. 
And within the conversation that he has with Jesus, we find out that this certain lawyer probably had a real problem relating to people in general. We're in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. I invite you to turn there if you would. We're in chapter 10 as we continue on in our verse-by-verse study in this gospel. Believe it or not, we've made it all the way down to verse 25. I know it's hard to imagine that. I've been out of pulpit for a while, but... uh, We are in Luke chapter 10, down in verse 25. Luke writes to us, and he says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and and tested him, tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Well, what's, what's written in the law, and what is your reading or understanding of it? So the man answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And, oh yeah, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to the man, You've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. But this man, this certain lawyer wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It's interesting here, Luke tells us about this certain lawyer, the certain lawyer that comes to Jesus. Uh, These lawyers, similar to the scribes, the the scribes uh, and and the lawyers, pretty much uh, the same uh, training, the same education that they had. The, The lawyers were those that would look at, understand, interpret uh, and direct the meaning of the Mosaic law, not only the written law, but also all of the, the oral declarations and the oral traditions. It was the lawyer's place to make sure that what you were doing in your life was according to the law of Moses, that you lived your life in the right way. These lawyers, they were professional teachers. They were expounders. They were professors of the Mosaic law, as well as all, all of those traditions, all of those uh, uh, oral traditions that were there. And since every aspect of of Jewish life, every aspect of all of their lives was ruled and guided by these laws, these lawyers, they carried a lot of weight. They carried a lot of influence in their community. Their interpretations over people's lives literally ruled the people's lives. And I can't express to you too much because Here this one comes, and he comes to to test Jesus with a very, very important question concerning the law. But the thing was, is Jesus wasn't too impressed by this guy. Jesus isn't too impressed by anybody, by the way. And actually, this lawyer's question, it's really not too out of balance, but undoubtedly Luke understood, and uh, he knew as he was writing the whole story, and apparently there was this air about this man as he makes this question, because he gives this question in an attempt to trip Jesus up in some way, to get an answer, rather than getting an answer really concerning eternal life. You need to realize that the Jews in general, they knew that they had eternal life. I mean, after all, they were the chosen people. They had eternal life. If anybody had eternal life, the Jews had eternal life. They were the children of Abraham, of course. They had eternal life. And as long as they maintained their life in in that correct balance of the law and in faithfulness in prayers and in giving of tithes and offerings, well, they, they, they had what was needed for this eternal life. There was no doubt this man, being a lawyer, 
He certainly, he, he had fulfilled all of these external requirements in order to say that I have eternal life. On the external, he had done everything that was necessary according to the law. But still, the normal run of things, a question like this, wouldn't have been too out of order. The Jewish religious leaders of the day, often they discussed, they debated, they spoke to each other about these things. In the normal run of things, it would have been an okay question. But this man came, he was testing Jesus. There's no doubt about it. He was testing him to see if his answer would be in accordance with the Mosaic law. But Jesus wasn't going to fall into that trap. Jesus simply threw the question back at the lawyer. Verse 26 says that Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? And I'm pretty certain that this guy's response was probably very quick, very bold, very loud. I mean, oh, I know all the answers. He's, he's a guy that has the answers. He, that's the way he lived his life. That's who he was. Uh, he'd probably been grilled as a little kid on what the answer to that question was. I'm sure as he came off, it just flew out of his lips automatically. Almost without thinking, he knew the right answers. He was quoting from the teachings found in uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He was quoting from the law of Moses when he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Personally, I think he kind of tacked on the last part in not quite the same boldness. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you stop and think about it for a moment, you've got to realize this guy was right on. I mean, he had the right answers. Because truly, if if you and I love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind, can you imagine what kind of a relationship we would have with God? I mean, if we were full out 100% in every aspect of our lives, We love the Lord. We placed him above anything and everything in our lives. Can you imagine, again, the walk that we would have as believers? If that full desire was there, no doubt we would we'd be walking, we'd be walking in obedience. Why? Because we love the Lord with everything that we are. And so I want to obey him. And I want my life to shine for him. And I want my life to be a demonstration of who he is. And for us, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, our mind, our, our strength, if everything was his, then you know what? The things of this world would become less and less important, wouldn't they? Because he would become more and more important in our lives. Desire for God's kingdom and the things of God's kingdom would be those things that fully consume us at that point. Yeah, he had the right answer. Oh, and this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. That for you and I as believers, that is our purpose in life. That is the reason why you and I are still sitting here sucking air this morning, that we would be a demonstration of God to the world around us. And what is the demonstration of God? His love for the lost. And so you and I would be those, or should be those, who have that love for our neighbor. That's why we're here. Loving God, loving our neighbor. And so Jesus' response back to this guy was pretty simple. It was pretty well to the point. He said, yeah, that's the right answer. If you do this, you'll live. 
I believe at that point in time, Jesus probably turned his attention from that guy and started to address the crowd, but this man wouldn't leave it there. He, he wasn't really looking for the answer. He really came to kind of press the point, and he was already ready with this follow-up question. And Luke tells us that he asked this question in order to justify himself. And I'm sure you could have heard it in his voice, even as he asked Jesus, ah, but who's my neighbor? Ah, there's a question. Answer that one for me. I mean, I could love my family as myself. I could love my friend, well, most of my friends as my, okay, a few of my friends as myself. But to love my neighbor as myself? That really kind of depends upon who my neighbor is. You know, the guy across the street, I don't know about him, but not that other neighbor, that would be fine. You, you know, we, we pick and choose, don't we? But that's not the idea, that's not the understanding. But for the Jew of that day, his obligation to love, his mindset was, it was, it was pretty much solely based on his definition of neighbor. And for the most part, neighbor was limited to the fellow Jew. Well, I can love a fellow Jew, but don't ask me to love one of those Gentiles. Forget it. And especially not one of those Samaritans. You see, that was the attitude of the Jews. They could deal with other Jews. They had no love, no care for anyone else. And even among the Jews, they, they had their limitations even there. Well, I'm definitely not going to love a Jewish tax collector. No way. You know, there's, there's Jews that are, that are sinners. And I'm, I'm not going to love one of those because I'm a righteous Jew. You see how quick we can put limitations on who is worthy of our love, who we ought to love when in reality it says, no, you love your neighbor as yourself. So who is my neighbor? And once again, Jesus didn't really answer the question, at least not in a direct way, Jesus knew that this man wasn't really looking for the answer. He was simply looking to try and trip Jesus up. He knew again that this man was so far from the truth. Oh, he gave the right answer, but he was so far from the truth. And so Jesus responded to this man's question with, with a story, and we see this down in verse 30. Jesus answered, he said to the man, a certain man went, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, he wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, uh, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, what does it say, church? He had compassion. He had compassion. Verse 34, so the Samaritan went to this man, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more that you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. Now, before we get into this story, I, I think it's very interesting here. Jesus didn't say that this was a parable. I wonder if maybe it's actually an event that actually had taken place, maybe even near where they were that day. 
Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. I'm wondering if somewhere in that area, it was well known about this guy that had been nearly killed by these thieves and this Samaritan that reached out to him. We don't really know. But the story itself, rather the story is a true story or rather it is given as a parable, it's pretty simple. It's pretty much to the point. And no doubt, maybe uh, if, if you've grown up in Sunday school, maybe you've played one of the parts of the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's, there's five main characters here. We'll throw out the animal, okay? We, we, we won't worry about him. But there's five main characters that we look at in this story of the Good Samaritan. First of all, this priest. And what is a priest? Well, he's a representative of God to man and man to God. That's what he is called to be. That's what he's called to do. He's the one who served God through all of the temple ceremonies and in all of the rituals. Let me ask you something. What it, was this particular priest, was he truly a man who knew God and was led by the Spirit of God? Yeah, our story pretty much points to the negative. When given an opportunity to assist one in, in such a great need, the word says that he passed on the other side. He, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. This representative of God to man didn't represent God to that man. And neither did he lift this man up to God. He passed away around to the other side. The, the Levite, uh, an, another temple worker, he was responsible for assisting the priests in their duties. He was responsible for serving areas of, of worship, assisting in all of the sacrifices. And again, he's one that should represent and should draw people to an experience with God. And here he comes along, a, a person that without a doubt this person needs, desperately needs, a touch from God. So what do we see? Well, he's curious enough. He came and he, 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 he looked, but then it says, then he passed around to the other side too and, and, and went on the road. The third person we see is the Samaritan. Uh, you need to understand what a Samaritan is. The Samaritan, they, they were the hated half-breeds, okay? They were the half-breeds. They, they were the ones that nearly 500 years ago, when all of Israel was brought into captivity into Babylon, many were left in the promised land. Many of the Jews were left in the promised land. And over a time, they began to intermarry and intermix with the Gentiles that were there. So you've got the Jews intermarrying and mixing with the Gentiles, and their off-breed became what is known as the Samaritans. They were part Jew and part Gentile. And they were despised by all of the other Jews. And as a matter of fact, even having contact with a Samaritan, well, you'd probably be unclean. You, you don't have anything to do with these half-breeds, these Samaritans. All of that had taken place like 500 years prior. But yet it was still impacting the mentality and the thoughts and the attitudes of the Jews of that day. The fourth person we see here is the innkeeper. We don't know anything about this man other than the fact that he had this business. This inn of that day, it was, uh, it was part pub, it was part restaurant, it was part Motel 6, okay? Well, maybe a holiday inn, depends upon how classy of a joint it was. But that's what they did. They just ministered to the travelers, whatever the need might be for the travelers as they came through. And then the fifth and the final character, this certain man. A certain man traveling along 
what would have been a very popular route of that day. It, it, it was a common road that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was about 17 miles all in all. And yet, when you look at the area, you look at the terrain that's there, you realize this road was a pretty tough road. It was a very winding path. At, at times, it was so steep as, uh, well, if you're going from Jericho up to Jerusalem, you're traveling uh, in that 17 miles, you're going about 3,300 feet elevation. That's the difference of the change. And this winding road, again, uh, so winding that at times you can't see very far in front of you or behind you. There is even outcroppings of rocks. It's a very dangerous road at that point in time. A lot of places for thieves and muggers to hide out and jump out at you, you know, unaware. As a matter of fact, uh, that road was so notorious, it was so filled with violence that about uh, 300 years after this, uh, Jerome, one of the early church leaders, wrote about that Jericho road. Uh, He's he said that it was the way of blood or the bloody way. That's how notorious it was. So here's a certain man. He, he comes and he's, he's traveling. And as he went, the word tells us, Luke tells us, he, as Jesus speaks, he fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They, they wounded him. They departed. They left him half dead. And we don't know anything else about this guy. And personally, I think it's very interesting that Jesus doesn't reveal anything about this man at all. Because let me ask you, would it have made a difference? Did it make a difference? Well, we know that the two Jewish men, the priest and the Levite, they didn't want anything. Maybe, maybe he was a Samaritan. Maybe he was a Gentile. We don't know. Was he local or was he a foreign traveler? We don't know. Was he a peddler or, or a resident in the area? We don't know. Let me ask you this. Could he have possibly been black? Or maybe he was Arabic. Maybe he was Asian. Maybe he was Native American. Maybe he was Hispanic. Maybe he was white. How about a Syrian refugee or an Iranian refugee? Would it have made a difference? Would it have made a difference to you on who it was, where they came from? Does it make a difference? When you look at this story, we we need to realize that Jesus describes this man in a way that God looks at all of us. An individual with no title, No label, no ethnicity, just somebody who actually needed help. And along comes three different people, each one of them who were able to render aid to this man, but two of them passed him by. The priest, not only did he pass him by, but he even took the trouble to cross the road around from him. I don't want to get too close because if I get too close, maybe I'll have to get involved. Where's the heart of God from this man of God? Where's his compassion even for just a fellow human being? Let me ask you, does our outward display of religion and ritual mean nothing to our inner man? Can we on the outside come and rejoice and worship, declare and speak and maybe even teach the truth of God, and yet that truth of God not have any kind of an impact on our inner man. Look at this Levite. I mean, the Levite, according to the wording, he actually came in for a closer look. He he came and, and, and and he looked, but when he saw either who it was or what it was, he he responded just like the priest. He walked around, and, and Jesus is very clear. He passed on the other side. Here's a guy who serves God in the temple, but he's unwilling to serve man in the world. 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. small